0: Welcome to the Payments Podium podcast hosted by the Payments Professor himself, Kevin Olson. This podcast discusses the past, present, and the possibilities of the payments industry. Here's the show.
1: Hey, everybody. Payments Professor here on the Payments Podium podcast, and I have with me a risk professional. And what we are going to talk about today is what a risk professional is still learning about risk. In fact, it, it's David Payne. He's been on before. We've had some great conversations about faster payments risk and risk in other areas. And we were talking recently about how you know each of us has decades of experience, because we started very young, in electronic payments. And some of the things that we're still, to this day, still learning. So I'd like to welcome David Payne to the show.
0: Hey, Kevin. It's been really good to talk to you, man. I'm really looking forward
1: to this. Well, I, I think it's going to be fun. So. I mean, here's the thing. It's kind of like when you start talking about risk, the question is, where do you start? Now, I think a great place for us to start was here we were having the conversation that, wow, decades in and we're still learning new stuff. So, David, where do we start? If we're already understanding the basics of risk and working with audits and doing our risk assessments, what's that next step?
0: Well, the thing, the thing that strikes me about it, and um, there's a, a psychological rule out there, a psychological study that's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. It was by a guy named Dunning and a, someone named Kruger. So what they did, basically, is they interviewed these people that were about to take an exam. college uh, I think they were college students that had volunteered for it. And they said, how confident are you in your knowledge? And then they mapped all these different things and understanding. multiple questions to find out how comfortable they were to kind of judge what their level of comfort was. And all of them were pretty confident about their level of knowledge, pretty much even across the board. And then they took that interview and mapped it against what they actually scored. Uh So people down here at the bottom were way overconfident in how much they knew people a little bit higher were just not quite as confident and it actually doesn't flip until you get to the really high scoring people on the far right where they underestimate their knowledge otherwise everything else all the way up you overestimate how much you think you know about it. um and the are thing you saying that-
1: basically we think we know more than we know
0: Yes, until you are incredibly knowledgeable about it, in which case at that point in time, it flips. And the thing that really a lot of people have taken away from it is that people that don't know anything about a subject never um, are always overestimating how much knowledge they've got. That's what everyone's taken away from it. The people that don't know anything think they know a lot. But what it actually is, is that everybody does this, this is a universal truth. So you will always overestimate your knowledge or your level of knowledge until you are an incredibly well-versed individual. Um, and it's weird because I've been doing risk assessments for you know over a decade, for ages. So I'm thinking I know a good bit about risk and then I get exposed to different ways of looking at risk and different factors to examine and when that happens, it's like, hold on. Uh, it makes me rethink everything I thought I knew about risk. And at that point in time, you realize, that's where always smacks me in the face is, okay, this is Dunning Kruger. I'm overestimating how much knowledge I have, even though I've done this for a decade, am I in the first, second, or third quarter? My hope is that I'm at least in that third quarter where I'm just a little overestimating and not massively overestimating. So, so really <laughs>
1: it's almost like you, you gotta stay humble and you gotta stay learning. And you know, I, I believe learning is a lifetime event. Now, I'd ask this though, if you're getting exposed to different ways of looking at risk, I know you and I have had a lot of conversations on faster payments risk and those risk assessments and how it's kind of changing the game. Well, can you tell me what is it that you experienced that said, hey, here's a new way I've got to look at this?
0: Well, for this year alone, um, I went to some ISACA sessions about risk management. And one of the things that ISACA is, oh, you would ask me that. (laughs) It is... it's an information security, and I cannot remember the what it stands for now. But it is a uh, organization. I think it's a nonprofit. You pay membership dues to, and it provides IT level of security uh, or okay. IT information about that. So okay. and one of the You went things, to their meeting. I went to three three sessions they had one day. They had a uh, like a luncheon type thing or something to start in the morning and knocked off about three. And the part that was really intriguing to me is most of my risk assessment experiences is from the institute of internal auditors so it's more from an accounting aspect of it or an auditing aspect of it now i say um, accounting or auditing because auditing kind of derived from the accounting portion or the, that process so even compliance auditing is based in some way along that process or a, a lot based upon that that whole concept and the it area what they're looking at is kind of leveraging it past what you would do for an audit or look at from that side of it. They were kind of saying, okay, if these areas impact your organization and can keep you from achieving your, your results, or your desired results, we ought to look at them or we ought to factor them in or we ought to think about them. So they're kind of pushing that boundary outside of my experience and my background and looking at it more from a holistic standpoint. And that's something that's always bothered me about like the COSA, which is the Committee of Sponsoring um, Organizations of the Treadway Commission. Mm -hmm. And that was formed back in the 80s and due to a huge fraud. So they got a bunch of groups together and they said, come up with a, a risk management or a way of managing risk. So they came up with a methodology or a way of how you manage risk. And that's where a lot of my knowledge comes from. But the IT area, they're looking at it very differently, and I'm not an IT person. So getting exposed to that, uh, working for a technology company versus a bank or a payments association, it's very different. So they look at it from a different process. They look at it from a development process. But then they're pulling in these risk components and these risk assessments from their compliance area that are coming from, in, in some way, derived a lot of ways from the accounting side which is what i'm familiar with but they're pulling in other areas that i'm not familiar with so i get to learn all these new areas and new ways of looking at things that i haven't been exposed to before um and that's tough sometimes
1: okay so In the world we live in, in electronic banking nowadays, I do remember when IT wasn't that heavily involved. When it came to implementing even new products that they had to install, they would find out, you know, the day when my early consultant days, I'd show up and they'd be like, wait, you're installing software? (laughs) You know, so, you know, there was no true risk assessment audit done. But now it's almost like you start with them because everything is electronified. Now, I also would say, what's that mean to the auditor, the compliance, the risk person that's out there, especially that one that's in the small institution that's wearing the multiple hats? What do they need to be looking at? What advice would you give them from what you're learning? Well, I think
0: that the way I've always looked at it, and the the part that always concerned me about basing it from an accounting standpoint only, is that you can have other areas that you could miss, Mm -hmm. especially from a compliance standpoint. Um, So looking at it, I guess, is the idea is to back up and, and look at it from more of a holistic perspective, more like an enterprise risk management type of thing, which means across your entire organization, what are your risks and what, and how are you evaluating those risks and how do those risks then how do you reduce those risks to make sure you can achieve your results? And the thing that there's a couple of components thing that I've run into recently also that have kind of uh, given me pause or made me look at things differently. Like for example, there's a threat and a vulnerability. Um, Historically, I've always looked at, well, this is your risk, which is your inherent risk and there's no controls. These are your controls that you've got mapped out that reduce your risk. And then these are your, is your residual risk after factoring in your controls. Now there's a couple of things that I've run into, like I said, the vulnerability and the threat. And vulnerability, you know, you're talking about IT, a lot of times the vulnerability within a software package is not what we're talking about. So this is where IT. Um, the language within IT can impact or look or, or kind of butt heads a little bit with risk management or risk assessment methodologies because the vulnerability here typically, and what I'm being exposed to now is coming from FAIR, which is F-A-I-R. It's an organization and it's a, a quantitative risk management method or process. And they want to basically have a way of systematically being more um looking at it from an actual measuring process across the entire board. And what I'm historically used to looking at is more from a subjective perspective. I know what the risks are. These are what your risks are. These are your way you reduce it. This is, is this valid or not? But that vulnerability is basically, is there a weakness within a control? Can you give an example, from working what, as well? like
1: a, a type of vulnerability? Like what would be an example for people that are out there going, well, what do you mean by vulnerability? Oh,
0: okay. Um, one of the things that they talked about that was a great example in this book that I'm reading by FAIR, uh, the organization, and um, it talked about a, gave you an image of a ball tire. It said, what's your risk with a ball tire? And the thought being, okay, you could have a wreck, if it's, you know, things like that. And say, okay. And then they changed it said, what if there's a rope tied to the tire? Okay, what's your risk to a ball tire? None, because it's a rope swing. And then they <laughs> said, okay. All, now it's being you. So, Exactly. And also they talk about preconceived notions or things that you're assuming. You're assuming a ball tire goes on a car. It's a rope swing. You're assuming once you put it up there, let's say there's a frayed knot at the top. Okay. That's, that's a little bit of a risk. Some people would say, and then say, okay, what if it's hanging over a cliff? Oh, that's a much bigger risk there. And then, well, what if, if they said from a risk perspective, who cares if a bald tire on a swing falls into a cliff? And they said, but no one, someone's gonna swing on it. Said so we didn't say there was anybody on it. We just said there's a bald tire and then there's different things. And the idea is the rope is a control or could be considered a control to keep the tire from falling. And the fray would be a weakness or a, um, not a weakness, a yeah, weakness of the control. And that's a vulnerability.
1: So, so does some of do- that come into to the likelihood that something could actually happen? Because I know I've been in situations where I've seen and told financial institutions, "Hey, I really think this is very risky for you," and then they came back and said, "We do that two or three times a year. We're okay with it." <laughs> like, yeah. oh, and okay,
0: <laughs> absolutely. And another thing that really has hit me hard too was when I'm reading this, they talked about um, frequency, how frequent. Would it occur? You know, we were had this conversation about real-time payments. Yes. And my comment is, if you don't do this, you will suffer loss, period. You're just going to suffer loss. And the thing is, in my mind, that is true. But I don't know if it's five years, six years, seven years, 10 years down the road. So from a frequency standpoint, if you're looking at it, you know, from a quantitative or a calculation method, one time in five years is what, 20% of the time? So if you take 20% of it times whatever your potential loss is, that gives you an actual measurement of how much risk you're talking about. And, and thinking of that duration and factoring all of that in makes you, it changes the way you look at risk. Um, and that part is the part that I'm I'm running into now. It's it's a fascinating concept and also a, a very thought-provoking one for me because it, it warps my brain yet another time.
1: Now, and that, that's what makes it fun. OK, I want to hear how, how I get more on how you're changing the way you look at risk. But I also like playing the side of something that I've learned is you have to take some risk. And I really believe more now than ever financial institutions are having to take more risk. And uh, when we talk faster payments, that is risky for them. They've never been there. They've never done that. But if they don't, then they're going to they're, they're taking a risk by not doing anything because they won't be offering a service that it's obvious everybody wants because they're using it in other places if they don't use it with you, just, just saying. Or you're taking a risk if you're bringing on something new that you've never used before. So wh- again, what are some of the things that you're still learning about risk that would help them and what they should be looking at?
0: Well, the thing about that is there's no such thing as having no risk. Mm-hmm. You cannot reduce risk to zero. Um, especially in payments, because you've got a, a floor level of when funds are have to be made available. That's Reg CC. So your regulation mandates you to uh, provide a certain, or there's a minimum amount that you've got to do, and you're going to have some level of risk. There's always the risk something could come back and you should have an issue there. Um, and the thing about it too is not assuming that risk or not willing to take that risk doesn't mean that you're going to not have a loss. It just means it's going to be different. Like you're talking about faster payments, not offering faster payments could give you a reputational aspect of it. They won't come to you at all. They'll go somewhere else for it or they'll do something different. So you can't avoid risk. Risk is just the nature of life. Okay. And I would say this too, because
1: with um, like RTP, for example, or even in FedNow that's coming, Is there really risk because they are guaranteed good funds payments? If you don't have the funds, the payment doesn't go out because it's a credit push only. So in that sense, where's really the risk? Is the risk more in, you know, of course, there's account takeover situations that will happen. But that goes back to your potentiality and probability of it happening and how much. And then you can have controls that are in place to be able to still limit it, right?
0: Yes. Um, Also, I think that because you're in a bank, a banking environment, your whole job is to hold somebody's money Mm -hmm. and they give you the money, they respect you and um, have an agreement with you to protect their money. So what happens in that situation is you you use that money to then loan or fund your lending aspect of it. And you make money on the lending side, a little bit of money on the deposit side. What happens though is if you, um, that protection aspect, is, that they're expecting is where you've got to make sure that you protect. So from a risk side of it, your whole job, if you're taking somebody's money,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you're you're going to have risk, period. There's no way to avoid it. So in my mind, it's not a, there's no risk or increased risk or different. There's just different types of risk between every payment system. It's all about getting the money, making sure the person that gets the money is authorized to get the money uh, and if there's an item that's deposited that's not authorized, that you're going to, how you handle that process. It's all about authorization, access, and the movement of funds. And the consumer doesn't care about anything else in the background. That's your problem. That's why he's giving you the money. That's the agreement. You're to protect it. And you've got these certain rules or certain things, depending on what's accessing the funds and how that money's being moved that you as an organization say you're going to follow. So everything goes back to that ethical side of it, too, where you're just going to agree to this and do that. And then how you manage that is how you manage your risk. You can't escape it. If you if you don't want risk, you need to do something else because you're in the wrong business. In fact, I don't know if there's a way you can do it with any business. There's always a risk of something occurring that's going to keep you from being able to
1: do what you need to do. All right. Well, what are the other new things that you're learning then when it comes to you know what's happening in the world of audits and risk assessments and payments? What what are some of the other new things that you're still learning?
0: Well, one of the things that I've been toying with, it's been in the back of my mind for a couple of years now, is compliance and compliance risk. As a compliance auditor, my past life, all I did was you're either in compliance or you're not in compliance. And the thing is that's a nice black and white way of looking at things and very easy to say compliance, not compliance. One mistake, you're not in compliance. But from a risk perspective, even the regulators have gone to more of a risk-based audit of compliance. So they're shifting over into that and looking at everything from a risk. And if you back up and just say everything and look at everything as a risk, you've got certain rules that apply and certain rules that don't apply. Um, And if you didn't, let's say, for example, you uh, didn't get an authorization on one transaction, that doesn't necessarily mean, in my mind, that you're non-compliant for all authorizations. It's one error. And, And as everybody knows, nobody is perfect. And one error, in my mind, also doesn't mean that you've assumed a massive level of risk. So if you look at compliance audits from a risk perspective, I think that that's a better way of managing it than a you're right or you're not right based upon my testing.
1: Okay. So you basically, you're saying stay in compliance, but still take the risk.
0: Yes. But the thing about it there is there are certain instances where, um, your goal is to be compliant and that's what you'd like to be. But if you're not, or something happens, does that mean anything? And in my mind, not necessarily. So I'm not saying not to be compliant. I'm saying if you know what the rules are, but if there's certain situations where everybody is offering a product Mm -hmm. and you need to offer that product, but there's not a, a very clear way of doing it within the rules, that does not mean that you can't offer the product. That just means that you've got to know what your risks are, know how you're managing it from a compliance standpoint. And what happens if you're not in compliance And you know, there's some wiggle room in there, and something comes back. If something's basically, they say it's unauthorized, you need to understand because you're doing this, you're going to suffer everything that comes back. So then the idea is okay, if I'm not going to be completely in compliance here, compliance here from an authorization standpoint, how do I make sure that I don't expose myself to too much risk? That monitoring part where you look at how much is coming back and anytime it spikes up with specific areas, you start flagging it and then managing it from that way. That may mean you have to make somebody mad because you're going to stop originating for them, but that's just part of the business and that's how you manage the risk. And the thing is, I don't, I want to stress this. I definitely think you should comply with the rules, right? but there are certain instances where the rules are not that clear or have not um, become robust enough to make it really easy to manage. And in that situation, you become a little... And that's why the
1: rules evolve over time, too.
0: Yes, absolutely. That's why things change. That's why there's uh, the new changes with how authorizations are done and how you can do the things that you can do. It's trying to evolve it and change it from the use case.
1: Well, and I look at the the role of compliance officers and I do definitely feel for them because, you know, if there's a political change, suddenly their, their job, you know, has got more stress on them, too, because they got to adjust for that, which we recently had happen. And we're still feeling and will feel the effects from. But then I also look at things like, you know, we have RTP now, we have now coming, and that's a whole new set of rules that they've got to go out and learn and figure out how does it apply within the regulations that they're already working in to balance the compliance of existing systems, which, like you just mentioned, new authorizations and ACH are coming, that they've got to work with the changing of what's already there. And then the bringing in of the new... That they've got to go learn and then figure out how do I do a risk assessment for how do I do audit, how do I make sure I stay in compliance and any advice for them from what you've learned and are still learning of uh, okay this is how I would address it.
0: Well, interestingly enough, I think the thing to look at there and kind of the approach my thought is. Okay, so. If you boil it to a really high level, you got to make sure that the person asking the money for the money is authorized to do that. So that's kind of the look at it from a risk perspective on that process. And then once you know what your risks are and how much volume you've got and how you're going to manage that, then go to the payment system is going to travel down, whether it's RTP, ACH, wire, whatever. So you kind of are treating everything the same on the identification process and that process from a risk management standpoint, and then looking at how that may be different based upon the payment system. Let's say, for example, like the uh, authentication for a web debit or a, a web transaction where they've got to verify at a minimum from a fraud detection system, they got to verify the other account. In that situation, you've got different ways of doing it. But if you look at it from a, okay, we're going to do this for wire transfers, for ACH, for RTP, for FedNile, this is the information we need. This is how we're going to verify that information and kind of take it to a more simple way of looking at it. So if the, the ACH requires this, RTP requires this, is there a way to combine that into one way? and then evaluate it from that way, from a risk perspective. And then that way it'll also apply to the different payment channels. Cause you're kind of taking the minimum requirement or the, the maximum requirement and applying it to all payment channels. And if there's another payment channel you feel like it needs tighter controls, why don't you apply that to everything? Cause then you're just managing access and how money's being moved and then worrying about the compliance side of it. So that keeps you from a, a more level playing field. And managing your risk effectively, and then looking at the compliance as additional risk.
1: Well, I wonder too: are the, the the compliance people out there that are listening to this? Are they like you and I, and just hey, we stay up at night reading all of these new rules and regulations?
0: They may be, and they they do. <laughs> the thing too is compliance as a risk is just that; it's it's just a risk, a different type of risk. And um, the, I don't know. There's no magic bullet. There's no perfect way of doing this. One thing that I thought about too, in relation to like underwriting an originator, um, I, I sat on some sessions and, and listened to them. and I think they're great ideas, but my thought is immediately, okay, that's a lot of work to underwrite an originator. So the question is, what are we underwriting for? Is there a way to determine whether or not how deep you have to dive from a risk perspective? Um, I also heard someone say, well, you can't risk rate a consumer transaction. And my thought was, well, if you look at BSA, you risk rate it from a BSA risk perspective or a money laundering perspective. Could you leverage that then across the board to also risk rate it? Um, and I also think that we concentrate too much on transactional risk. So we're trying to risk rate an ACH transaction or we're trying to risk rate a wire transaction or we're trying to risk rate a RTP transaction. And maybe it should be looking at risk rating of customers. And the reason I say that, that requires some level of, I think, AI and automation, though, to do that. But by moving to that type of model, it lessens, I think, it becomes more consistent across the board. And it lessens the individual, the siloed aspect of it. And let's say, for example, it's the first time they've ever done an ACH. Okay, maybe that's something to be worried about. So you'll elevate that one of a risk. But it's a $10 transaction. Nobody cares. Versus a $3,000 transaction. That matters. So I think that there are ways to look at this that are above and beyond the siloed approach uh, that could be leveraged and looked at in a different way. And I think that helps manage it more consistently and easier if you can automate it, though.
1: Well the only thing that makes it even more fun, uh, I don't know how much you agree with this, but I also tell people there is no one right way. It all is a matter of what are you talking about? Cuz even you just said $10 versus 3000, ACH versus wire, new customer versus existing customer, credit union versus bank, asset size of 50 billion versus 1 million. I mean, all those different things suddenly just change how you're going to look at and manage the risk and the compliance and all that. I do got one more question for you, though, that I think is important. And it's it's something that I've been doing on the podcast here for a little while now, because a lot of listeners that are out there, are somewhat new to the industry. They're, they're not the old guys like you and I. And they asked though, how did the old guys like you and I get to be successful in our careers? So ask somebody who's had a lot of success, a lot of time in risk management, in performing audits. And especially like, you know, we, we started this off with a conversation of you're still learning about risk. And I mean, I'm still learning a- about different payment channels and how they work too. What advice would you give to that young compliance officer, to that young risk assessor, that young auditor of, you know, focus on maybe it's a certification, focus on learning this particular area. What can they do to be able to have a successful career in this industry?
0: Well, I think, and this is the most difficult part for me. I think that having an idea of kind of the direction you want to go in, um, I just got lucky. In a lot of ways, there was an opening in SFE, uh, Southern Financial Exchange in Mississippi, and I just got laid off from a bank in Tennessee. And I'm like, okay, I need a job. So I ended up going into this and I'd already had some experience with ACH and the payment systems and audit. So it was an easy transition for me. But and I think for me, and this is the part that is critical, is what are you interested in? what really fascinates you and in that situation that's what you've got to concentrate on and figure out how do i get that fascination in my day-to-day because if you don't get fascination in your day-to-day you're going to be bored and if you're bored you're not going to enjoy your job um regardless of how much money you make and i'm, I'm going to say that and because i think people chase the dollar a lot uh, but in in happiness, it doesn't really matter how much money you make. I think it matters more about what you do. Uh, because for me, if I can take different concepts and like I'm learning more about this, the risk and way to look at it, and that makes me think about, well, if that's how you do it, how does that translate across all these different areas? And that's where my brain really starts to get interested. And that's really exciting to me. And that's the fun part.
1: Well, and folks, for somebody who knows David quite well, he does get fascinated about this. Uh, he, he's like me, those of you who have met me, and, and it's just you can see the excitement in him you can hear it in his voice when it comes to talking about risk and audit and david i definitely want to thank you for your time today and for educating us a little bit more on what we can do about looking and still learning when it comes to risk the different ways of exposure um that bald tire well it all depends is it hanging over a cliff on a rope or is it on your car on a wet road really changes everything again thank you for your time today and for all of you out there if you would like to be on the payments podium maybe Maybe there's a topic you'd like to have addressed on the payments podium, or you know somebody who should be on the payments podium, then send an email to kevin at paymentsprofessor.com and I will do what I can to be able to make sure that we get you, that topic, or that speaker on the payments podium. For now, I got to say, class dismissed.
0: Thank you for listening to the Payments Podium Podcast check back every Thursday for a conversation with the payments professor. This podcast is
1: hosted and produced by Kevin Olson and edited by Sam Sue Smith. See you on Thursday.